0: Hello and welcome to the sixth episode of Brainstorium. I'm Anna Tizard and I'll be your host of quite possibly the zaniest moment of your week. I kind of hope that it is, I don't know why. Now, since I've brought this podcast show down to once a fortnight, it's given me a chance to think about how I might do things slightly differently from time to time. So just as an experiment today, Instead of talking about inspiration for the first half and then moving on to Exquisite Corpse in the second half, I'm gonna jump straight in to Exquisite Corpse and play no less than six story brainstorms. Okay, six rounds of Exquisite Corpse. Are you up for it? If you're a writer or someone who considers themselves to have an active imagination, a big imagination, then you might want to join in. In which case, grab a notepad or a laptop or a napkin or an old envelope, whatever you've got to hand, and be ready to pause the show whenever I've pulled out a complete exquisite corpse result. So a complete sentence. And just see what you can come up with before pressing play again. Now, just to recap for those who haven't listened before, um, or haven't sent me words through dot forward slash play before um, I'm going to be pulling random words from the three socks of destiny <laughs> that's right because there are three types of words or phrases that make up the exquisite corp story structure which is Describing word noun, action, describing word noun. And anything can happen. So let's brace ourselves for a six story challenge. Cue the weirdest jingle I have. Right, here goes nothing. Let's pull out the first describing words. This is from Fraser Armitage. It's another indie author I know. Perfumed is the first word. Okay, so let's pull out a noun. This is from Mariah. Elf. <laughs> the perfumed elf. Okay, time for an action. This is from Dushin Farrington. Swapped boots with. <laughs> okay. Right, who do they swap boots with? Shall have to see. This is from—it's a Twitter ID, Squid Micro. Actually, this is um, this is a Twitter account where they have various um, writing prompts. So this person didn't actually send me uh, Exquisite Corpse words on my web page. I tweeted them and asked them if I could just use some of the words that they were putting up anyway for other writing prompts, and they were like, "Yeah, just go ahead." Ah. So this is the word midnight, which is interesting to use that as a describing word. In fact, I think I was probably being creative with what was available on the tweets. So let's just see how this works with a noun after it. Mm. Again, this is from Mariah. <gasps> Ship. Ship. A midnight ship. Ooh, I like that. I kind of feel like I need some green tea and this is normally where I would pour my green tea but because we've jumped straight into Exquisite Corpse it hasn't had time to brew. So I'm just going to have to manage without for a little bit. Okay, let's see. The perfumed elf swapped boots with The Midnight Ship. Hmm. I wonder why the elf is perfumed. Maybe they're trying to impress someone. Or maybe they live in a flower bed. Um, Swapped boots with the Midnight Ship. I mean, a midnight ship is not something that would wear boots, but I'm wondering if we can be a bit more creative with what it means by swapped boots with. Because maybe the elf has a special pair of boots and they decide that, that well, they make a deal with someone, whoever owns the midnight ship, to swap the boots for. midnight ship. These would have to be a very special pair of boots to be able to swap them from an entire ship. But what is a midnight ship? Is it a ship that can only sail at midnight or is only visible at midnight? That would be interesting to have an invisible ship Again, an extremely valuable piece of magic. I'm really wondering what's what's with these boots. They must be extremely special boots. If an elf can swap them for a midnight ship. Ah, but maybe that's where the perfumed bit comes in. Because the elf is wearing this special magical perfume that puts people under a spell and convinces them to make deals they would never normally make. So this elf who's a bit of a trickster comes along wearing a fairly special looking pair of boots and haggles with the captain of a ship that is invisible (laughs) most of the time. Except at midnight. This is a perfectly feasible story. (laughs) But yeah, this is, I like this. This is um, a story about making deals that aren't necessarily fair between magical creatures uh, with, you know, with magical items to trade. Um, Yeah, this is, this is a good, it's a good fantasy, basis of a good fantasy story. But maybe... We should think of it, and I do do this with Exquisite Corpses when I'm writing short stories or, or, or books. I sometimes think, well, what if I were to just use this for the opening scene, just as an experiment? So our opening scene is perfumed elf wearing special looking boots, um, haggles with uh, a captain of, of this midnight ship. Um, but in such a way that that their perfume overwhelms the captain and and causes them to sort of lose sight of of how much their magical ship is actually worth and make this very unfair trade. Um, And without deciding what might come next in the story or, or the novel, or even deciding whether it's going to be a story or novel, just don't put that pressure on yourself. Just say, I'm going to write this scene And I'm not promising myself or any imaginary audience or my conference of bears, no matter how much they stare at me from next to my computer. I'm not promising what this is going to be. I'm just going to write the scene and see if it develops. And often if something will develop, it's because the characters start to catch on and my my imagination will snag on something, something in there. And I won't, I won't know when I start out, I will not know what it is that will grow. But I'll write that scene and just see where it goes. I actually think this is, this is a really good one. And I might even try that with this particular Exquisite Corpse. So watch this space. I think it's time for number two. What have we got here? This is someone who calls themselves Jen Moo Cat. And the word is dangerous. Hmm. Let's grab a noun, find out what was dangerous. Ah, this is me. One of my words. Mayhem. The dangerous mayhem. Don't know what we're going to do with that, but let's grab an action. Try not to worry about it too much yet. So this is from someone who calls themselves Life is a Gala. Climbed along the cliff edge too. So we've got a, a dangerous mayhem climbing along a cliff edge. Okay. Did I mention this is, this is a challenge, a six story challenge? Because it will be. Right, this is from Lady Karma. And we have the word melancholic. Right. What was melancholic? This is from Gamer Writer, that's a, a Twitter ID. Koi fish. So the dangerous mayhem <laughs> climbs along the cliff edge to the melancholic koi fish. I wonder what's made a koi fish melancholic. Because I think of them, they're very calm creatures, aren't they? They're lovely to watch. Perhaps I'm focusing on this because I just don't know what to do with the dangerous mayhem, climbing along a cliff edge. And what is a koi fish doing at the cliff edge? It's um, it's more melancholic than I thought it would be. I think it's gonna threaten to throw itself off the cliff maybe. I mean, hmm. If it's that melancholic that it can see a dangerous mayhem coming towards it actually this is something i've been thinking about lately not not dangerous mayhems or melancholic koi fishes but um just thinking about how to approach the different parts of an exquisite corpse when they seem impossible as they often do let's face it um because a dangerous mayhem, <laughs> you've got an abstract noun there, um, usually the most challenging of, of the Exquisite Course results, but um, it doesn't necessarily, that the, the noun doesn't necessarily have to be a, a person or, or, or an animal or a creature of some kind. Sometimes we can get around them by, or, or, or think up ideas from them, by considering them to be either places or situations. And I feel like a dangerous mayhem could be a situation. And so, climbed along the cliff edge too, is a sense in which if you were really troubled, so troubled that you'd gone for a walk along the cliff edge and were maybe thinking about ending it all, I suppose, Um, the sense in which a dangerous mayhem is coming towards you that might not be that might not be a a physical creature I mean you could you could try and turn it into that if if you're writing the bizarre kind of fantasies that I like to write but at the same time I'm, you know I'm not I'm not binding myself to do to doing that it could just be there is this situation, it it just feels as if everything's crowding in on you. um, And that's what's going to literally push you over the edge. Or not literally, this could be a metaphorical situation. The thing with abstract nouns is they're rather open, malleable. Mayhem can mean different things to different people in different situations. So in a way, it asks more questions than it answers. If the melancholic koi fish is a pub, who's in the pub? What are they doing? What matters to them? What would be mayhem to them? Dangerous mayhem. I think of dangerous mayhem and I see a tumbling ball of dust, string, hair, maybe scrap metal, something that can cut as it rolls and tumbles along the edge of the cliff. What if this ball of dangerous mayhem coming towards the pub is something that may harm the people in it in unseen, mysterious ways. Maybe this is just adding even more layers of abstract stuff, but what if it's the force of truth? Someone in the pub has been hiding a secret for years from their friends. And this ball of mayhem comes along, this force of truth, just, well, lie-destroying, I should say, lie-destroying energy that pulls their lies to shreds. Or maybe the the group is a storytelling group or a role-playing group. And along comes the truth in the guise of this ball of energy to wreak havoc on their relationships. I don't know, is that too bizarre? (laughs) It'd be an interesting beginning for a story and then you'd have to sort of unpick what is this energy, where is it, where has it come from? Has someone invoked something, spoken to a witch, gone to a, a psychic to cause this this energy to be unleashed upon them and perhaps to pull apart the lies that they're originally trying to protect some dark secrets this is something that could be worked on yeah right we've got another one from Mariah, Magnificent The noun Oops. this is from me all my words coming out today song the magnificent song that's interesting oh why do I why do I write so many abstract nouns honestly let trying to get a bit experimental aha! This is from Paul Thomas. He's an actor friend of mine. Fought a long and arduous battle against. <laughs> God. I'm just wondering how a song is going to fight against something, but let's wait and see what it is. Oops, they're dropping out here. I got here. This is from Alessandro Bozzo, exasperated. Okay, final noun. Oh, again, from Alessandro Bozzo again alembic. Oh, I'm going to have to look up what that is. So through the power of editing technologies, I've looked up an alembic uh, and come straight back to you and it is a distilling apparatus which is no longer in use, it's obsolete. Um, So it had a sort of a gourd shaped container and a cap Uh, and it was used for alchemy. (laughs) So (laughs) we have to believe in an exasperated alembic. Mm, an, An exasperated alembic. So I suppose alchemy, yes, it led to modern chemistry and modern science, but at the time people were trying to make gold out of other materials like lead and not managing it, so I can imagine how an alembic, if it had feelings, might well become exasperated. But let me just read out the whole exquisite corpse and I'm going to have to pour my tea because surely it's it's brewed by now. I need it. I'm getting parched here and I need I need the zen of the green tea. So we have the magnificent song fought a long and arduous battle against The exasperated Alembic. (laughs) Okay, time for tea. Give it a bit of a stir. this. Okay, the magnificent song fought a long and arduous battle against the exasperated Alembic. Gosh, the idea that a sound can fight a battle against a piece of apparatus. There's a laboratory. I feel like it's in a basement under a pub, maybe. And an alchemist who's trying to distill the power of of life itself, maybe even immortality. And he's using an alembic amongst various other vials and glassware and other equipment and he's captured a song in a jam jar. It is magnificent. He caught someone singing it. It was a woman who was hanging out her washing on the line and she was singing it to herself or singing it back to the birds who were singing in the trees at the time. And he felt that there was some kind of power in this because it was so simple and so beautiful and so perfect. And he used a very special net with a magical mesh. And with that, he caught the song as it floated out on the morning breeze and smuggled it into this jam jar and put the lid on. And then he brought it into his laboratory where he tried to get it, funnel it into his alembic for further experiments to see if he could distill a life force from it. But this magnificent song fought a long and arduous battle against this exasperated Alembic this frustrated piece of equipment because he couldn't get it in there because it was free by its own nature oh, that's quite sweet in a way isn't it Hmm, I think it's time for another one Right, let's make it a good one. This is from Simon L. Disgruntled is the word. Grab a noun. This is from someone called Cat with a double T. Ghost Hunter. The disgruntled ghost hunter This is from Fraser Armitage Eloped With Uh, this is from, it's a Twitter ID, uh, Denison underscore Elena. Anthropomorphic. Right, this could be interesting what comes after that. Oh, this one's just fallen out. Uh, it's from Cat again. Mushroom. <laughs> the anthropomorphic mushroom, so in what I'm, I'm already stuck on this, so um, stuck on as in fixated, of course, on how a mushroom might be anthropomorphic, does it have a person's face or is, does it have other characteristics or emotions that make it human-like? That's, um, <laughs> that's something to explore on its own, but let's look at the whole. Let's look at the whole sentence. The disgruntled ghost hunter eloped with the anthropomorphic mushroom. I think I'm going to need a top up initially because <laughs> this is this is a pretty weird one. Has to be said. I mean, why is the ghost hunter disgruntled for starters? I think this could be the key as to what's going on. Okay. So the disgruntled ghost hunter eloped with an anthropomorphic mushroom because I think it is to do with being disgruntled. I think this is a failed ghost hunter, somebody who desperately wants to hunt ghosts and to be able to believe in this spirit world. Um, But nothing's really happened for them. Uh, He keeps visiting places that are meant to be haunted. Um, He goes to an old house um where people have said they've children have said they've heard things at night it's probably just the wind um he's been to an old shack on the beach. I don't know why this is a shack on the beach, but again that could get quite whistly a place where perhaps teenagers have been hanging out they think they've seen something, and he goes up there and perhaps. Perhaps he wants to write a book or do a podcast or something like that about ghosts and spirits and is convinced that he's gonna get a really good story soon. Um, But still, he finds nothing at all. And perhaps he turns to magic mushrooms. Perhaps that's the way he's just thought, well, I don't know how, I don't know how I'm gonna get these bizarre experiences. I know they're out there. He's failed to find anything in real life, so he unfortunately he turns to drugs, and so one of these mushrooms starts morphing <laughs> into what seems like an attractive mushroom lady, <laughs> very voluptuous, on the uh, on, on the forest in, in the forest floor, um, sprouting as it would seem from the ground itself. Is this the first spirit he's ever seen? No, you numpty, it's because you're taking drugs. <laughs> now go home. So, but in his mind, he's eloped with this mushroom woman. But maybe if you could write this story um, and have a little twist towards the end where it's questioned, well, actually, did he take mushrooms did he, or did he take drugs? You're led to believe, or perhaps he is led to believe, that he's he has taken something, but it turns out it wasn't, it was just an aspirin or or something else. And then it, it turns out that he did, it, these weird visions of him having eloped with this strange mushroom creature lady, maybe they're real, maybe this is his first true, <laughs> um spirit experience I'm not even sure if you can call it that but um yeah I think you could play with what's real what's not real and perhaps in the end his desire to break through to this mythological or spirit world um it was was enough it was enough in the end he didn't need to take drugs there you go <laughs> will I write it hmm. I'm not sure. I have a natural aversion to writing anything about drug taking, but maybe I could get past that with this one because um, because it turns out that he didn't take drugs in the end and that's that's the weird truth of the story. Huh, okay, I'll I will keep this in my little notepad of crazy stories to write one day, definitely. And let's let's see if we've got another one. Number five. Ah, again, this is from Simon L. Very good at beginning stories, Simon. Uh, cross-eyed. Let's grab now. This is from Jen Moo Cat. <laughs> Meter maid so the cross-eyed meter maid okay you don't, you don't really get those in in the uk but um yeah we just have parking meters and stuff but that's fine this one is cross-eyed i'm told but what happens to her what happens to the meter maid this is from anonymous Anonymous. <laughs> jumped on a kangaroo with <laughs> Okay, this is an adventurous meter maid. (laughs) Um, Let's go for another describing word. Who does she jump on a kangaroo with? Aha, this is from Frasier Armitage again. Altruistic. Altruistic. And this is from Paul Thomas daffodil (laughs) the cross-eyed meter maid (laughs) jumped on a kangaroo with the altruistic daffodil oh my goodness more green tea come on come on brain what can we do with this well tell you what i think i've worked out why she's cross-eyed it's because she jumps on kangaroos (laughs) Jumped on a kangaroo obviously implies that they're riding a kangaroo, (laughs) which would be very bouncy. Um, I'm sure that would cause a bit of a jolt, Um, but with an altruistic daffodil, this bright yellow flower gives of itself to the world, to other people. It captures the light of the sun and glows yellow for everyone that looks at it. Is that really altruistic though? I feel like it needs to do a little bit more to help help other people and put others first because <laughs> daffodils are so selfish these days. Um <laughs> Wow, well, this daffodil has agreed somehow to go with a meter maid who clearly needs to escape something Um, and uh... oh but wait just a second she's a meter maid she's she's keeping an eye on parked cars and yet she's jumping on a kangaroo she's made an interesting choice of transport (laughs) So um she is a kind of pioneer when it comes to transport. Um she's made this very distinctive choice for someone that spends so much time around cars. I wonder if this is okay, I wonder if this I was gonna say I wonder if this is a parallel reality. Of course it's a parallel reality. I'm making something up. It's Completely imaginative, but no, I'm thinking. I'm thinking that this is um, a strange world in which very similar to ours, except that perhaps in the way some people worry about, you know, the internet taking over our lives, smartphones, you know, um, our entire lives become bound up. In, in our identities become bound up in what's what's on our smartphone or what we do on our smartphone and that, you know, um, people worry that we're being watched. So, you know, we have our personal data kind of chewed up, uh, stared at by who knows who, um, big corporations, people who may, con- you know, potentially control our lives in some way. If, if you're into conspiracy theories or or things like that. And maybe in this world that we're talking about here <laughs> with kangaroos in it, um, it's, it's fine, that's, that's Australia. It's, it's an alternative Australia where instead of smartphones being the worrying technology that is a means of big corporations and the government perhaps watching us taking over our lives in some way, cars have become like that cars have become this sort of digital reality. Um, I don't really understand how that could be because you can't really slip your car into your pocket while you go to the pub and, um, you know, make bank transactions on it or or phone calls, but maybe, maybe you could. Maybe this is a world where the the environment has become completely depleted, apart from the odd daffodil, altruistic daffodil poking its head up. So people spend a lot more time in their cars and in fact their cars are the equivalent of pubs and clubs and cafes where perhaps they're bigger than than what they are in, in our reality and you invite people into your car and it's a place to be. So places come to you or you, you have the place where people meet up and people come to you rather than you going to other places. Does that make sense? I'm kind of on the beginnings of something, but the reason why I think in this story, cars would have to be so important to life um, and perhaps something to be escaped, something that represents a dark force out there that has to be evaded you know like when somebody wants when somebody wants to live off the grid the main thing that they need to escape from is cars cars must represent this digital reality because the meter maid has made this choice to jump on a kangaroo (laughs) To make any sense at all. I think <laughs> this is one of the hardest exquisite corpses that I've come across so far on brainstorming has to be said. Do I admit defeat of this one or do I just leave it with a meter maid living in a world where cars represent control and personal data and how you should live your life, how the government and big corporations dictate how you live your life. How a meter maid turns her back on all of that and goes off the grid by jumping on the nearest kangaroo <laughs> with a daffodil representation of nature and the environment and wanting to go back to something more basic and more beautiful and more free that'll do it has to do right the final sixth exquisite corpse in this six-story brainstorm my goodness let's see if i can do this see if you can do this if you're having a go at home right this is from a twitter account squid micro fortunate Hmm. I feel like, it kind of says something already has happened. It implies the situation that's already been presented rather than just describing a person or a thing. And um, the noun is from Mariah, dragon, the fortunate dragon. What happens to this dragon? Frazier Armitage, again, aimed their pistol at ooh Perhaps not so fortunate. I don't know. Or fortunate to have a pistol, bearing in mind the circumstances. Ah, that's one way of looking at it. This is from Alessandro Bozzo. Gregarious. Right, final noun better be good. My hand better not get stuck in this sock. Ah, from Denison underscore Elena on Twitter. Squirrel. The fortunate dragon aimed their pistol at the gregarious squirrel. Now this poses a little bit of a difficulty because we seem to have two characters who are perfectly contented. We have a fortunate dragon and a gregarious squirrel. Um, I always think of people who are gregarious as happy, I suppose, because all they need is is the company of others and away they go. But what what is it that would cause a fortunate dragon to aim their pistol at this squirrel unless the squirrel was being extremely annoying and they're pretty different creatures really one is massive uh, and dangerous the other is tiny and potentially irritating but generally very cute I think so I think I'm going to have to break this down slightly I'm focusing in on the word fortunate and I'm thinking about the word fortune And I wonder if this dragon has just been to a fortune teller and he's been told that he's going to be fortunate. And so, but there there would have to be a warning mixed in there somewhere, I think. Um, He has to feel threatened by this squirrel or to feel the need to demand something from, from the squirrel. Otherwise, why aim a pistol at it? So he comes out of the fortune tellers. The fortune tellers just told the dragon that the first creature that he comes across will have a secret that will either make or break him. And he will have to make that creature obey him. He'll have to have that creature on his side. I can't but think a squirrel will be an excellent spy if a dragon ever needed one. A dragon is a huge, powerful creature that can wing its way across the skies and breathe fire, be great for destruction, but not very good with intricate details. So if there's some buried treasure somewhere, and we all know how much dragons like treasure, then it's it's not gonna be the best kind of creature to find it on its own maybe that's what the squirrel has and is keeping from the dragon so the dragon comes along sees the squirrel and according to the fortune teller this is it this is the creature you need to uh, get on your side so stick him up does does the squirrel know of any buried treasure yes he does Funnily enough, he knows of buried treasure and the dragon threatens to shoot him if he doesn't tell him. But then the squirrel's like, well, hey, if you shoot me, I can't tell you. So, you know, you're going to have to spare my life at the very least. In fact, you're going to have to befriend me because I'm kind of gregarious. And um, this is not good company for me. You're kind of bumming me out. So the dragon takes the squirrel at gunpoint to where the squirrel says there's some buried treasure and demands that the squirrel digs it up. But guess what? It's probably just acorns. I mean, let's face it, riches, treasure, what you value depends on your perspective. Treasure for one person is just a pile of nuts to another. (laughs) In fact, I would, on that note, I would say These stories are my treasure. These ideas are the first glint of that potential treasure, the sparkle of something as you start digging. And I never would have come up with any of these ideas. I mean, yes, not all of them worked, but I think there's at least three here, three exquisite corpses that I may write short stories from. And it's all thanks to the people who have been kind enough to send me words through my Exquisite Corpse page at anatizard.com. So thank you for doing that and please do send more and if you've never sent before please don't be shy, you can always do it anonymously and just see if your words turn into some bonkers story You never know Well I hope you enjoyed listening I've certainly enjoyed doing this It's been challenging I would definitely say that, but it's also been really funny. Now, if you're interested in hearing about uh, which of these exquisite corpses will turn into short stories or even novels from today, and I'm sure there'll be some, um, then please do sign up to my newsletter, which is only once or twice a month. It's free. You get uh, the first book in the Book of Exquisite Corpse. The Empty Danger, uh, when you sign up and also an exclusive short story, which I deliberately have not published anywhere else. So please do, if you haven't already, subscribe to my newsletters at annatizard.com. And in the meantime, take care, go forth and be inspired.